Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to another episode. I am your host Adam. Our guest today is Sister Catherine Jones, a well-known coach and speaker. She is the founder of the Back to Fitra Coaching Academy where she teaches sisters to become emotionally resilient so they can step up and embrace the leader within them. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Catherine, and welcome to the show. Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for having me. Jazakallah khair for coming on. So, what inspired you to create Back to Fitra Coaching Academy? It's been quite a journey and perhaps a similar one to many coaches where it's kind of evolved. I actually just started with parenting programs. So I became a parenting by connection instructor. And my interest initially was just to teach this parenting program. But I learned more and more about internet marketing and sort of gradually it became a business. At the same time of doing my certification to be a parenting instructor, I was also doing my graduate diploma in teaching and learning to become a teacher in the classroom and decided that the kids' behavior really showed us that we really needed to help parents so that they could send their children to school more on track so that teachers didn't have to spend so much time managing children's behavior. So I didn't become a classroom teacher. I actually ended up focusing on parent coaching. Along the way, I got encouraged by one of my coaches to do business coaching and then I got encouraged back to do parenting coaching and then I got encouraged back to do business coaching and along the way I did many other trainings so I became an inside out paradigm coach which is all the all about the emotional resilience and then I did a certification which is um, called this for the spark curriculum which is a curriculum for kids Um, We've got three, one from ages six to 10, one from 10 to 13 and 13 to 25. And that is all about emotional resilience as well. And what came from that was creating a a, a whole school approach to building emotional resilience in the Ummah. So it's not just women now, it's women and children So I'm working in one of the schools here teaching this curriculum to kids. So it's all about emotional resilience. So at the beginning of this year, I decided that my focus was going to be 100% on emotional and spiritual resilience because I could see this is so key in our ummah that we need resilience, that we've got so many things going on that are causing a lot more mental health issues in our ummah, particularly with our children. It's not just our children. Um, Digital devices and addiction to those have created a lot of mental illness. Mm. It's increasing really rapidly in Mm. young people. And so I just feel that this work is just so important that I couldn't even think of myself doing anything else. And the reason... I called it back to the fitra is because that's how I experienced it myself as I went on my own journey to emotional resilience was like all the 
the things that had corrupted my way of looking at the world, all of the, the hurts, the experiences that I had, as all of that fell away, I felt like I was coming back to my innate natural sense of emotional resilience, which I believe every child is born with on that fitra. So that's why I called it back to the fitra. Mm. That's fascinating concept. How do you define emotional resilience? In one word, I would define it as being unbreakable. So one of the things I, I love to share with the kids at the beginning mm. of, of teaching them is that what I want to teach them is how they can go through life being unbreakable, mm. meaning that nothing can break us. Like the hadith of the Prophet Wasallam about the green lush plant, that that's the true believer is like the green lush plant, that yeah. if the wind blows it one way or the next, when mm. the wind stops, it returns to its initial, initial position. It's, mm. it's, not, it's not affected long-term. And that's what I see emotional resilience as being and what, a, what we are as a true believer. Mm. We understand that we're going to be tested. We understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us in many different ways he's going to test us. And he's also told us that he'll never burden us with more than we can bear. Mm. So therefore, whatever test we go through will not break us. Yeah. He, we, and we're told over and over again, reminded over and over again by our scholars and days, you know, about being patient and not being angry, about being just and fair. And a lot of people struggle with that. But underneath that, if you can get back to your innate state of emotional resilience, in fact, your natural state is to be patient. Your natural state is to be confident, to, be, um, to not get angry at mm. that first in instant that, you know, you're able to think clearly and be just and fair. Mm. And so that's why I think this work is so, so important because it's the foundation to being a, a person of the character that, that we are taught to be like the Prophet ﷺ was. You mentioned confidence and I would also like to ask how this relates to self-esteem because we are maybe struggling with lack of self-esteem or lack of confidence. So how does being unbreakable relate to having a high self-esteem and high confidence? That's a, a really awesome question because it was only yesterday I was teaching the year sevens and eights about confidence and um, so it's fresh in my mind the connection yeah. so when we are back into that or as back as we can obviously go to that fitra that Allah created us on we are just naturally confident in who we are you look at a young child mm. and they're they're learning like a, a baby's learning to stand up and walk they get up, they fall down. They get up, they fall down. They get up, fall down. They just keep going until they master it. They're just naturally resilient and confident. And that is in all of us. It's just that over the years, we've lost sight of it and lost connection with that. When we discover that again, when we uncover it again, because it's still there inside of us, the self-esteem and confidence just comes naturally because it is always there. The only thing that is taking that away is is our thoughts in the moment our thoughts about ourselves. Hmm. one of the things i was telling the kids yesterday was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
created them perfect just the way they are, which means that who we are as a person is already perfect. And we don't want to question Allah's and his creation, right? Mm. doesn't mean we are perfect as human beings because our behavior and our manner may not be perfect, but who we are, how Allah created us is perfect. And if we can remember that and see that, then we will naturally have self-confidence and self-esteem. doesn't mean we'll have arrogance or that sort of thing. It'll just Mm. be a natural confidence that inshallah has humbleness with it. Well, that's profound. And, and you mentioned Allah has designed us so he has perfectly formed us, as he mentioned in the Quran. That's so beautiful. But it's true though, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> but it's we so forget. Profound. Yeah, we, we do forget that. And because of the thoughts, maybe our thoughts and the way we talk to ourselves. Yes. And what we believe. Um, so one of the things I teach kids, my whole, what I teach is around our thoughts and how our thought, the way we think is creating the experience that we're having. And when we understand that it's actually has a very profound shift. You, You use the word profound. It is profound because you then come to realize that we are creating in our own mind, the reality we are experiencing. So if we have a, a certain experience where maybe a teacher, because I, I, let's use the school in, environment as an example, a teacher says, you know what, you could have, you could have done that essay better. Mm. We can think about that and go, that, that I'm not good enough. I, I have, I can never do good enough and have a negative experience of it. Mm. Or we can take it and go, okay, yep. I can see that next time I'm going to think about that and, and do it differently. Like the teacher said and have a positive experience around it. The teacher saying that wasn't what caused our experience. It's how we thought about it that did. Mm. And when we start to see that we can, we realize how, we can actually experience things differently. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Our thoughts create our reality. But how can we step away from the way we perceive things and detach ourselves from our stories? It's all about consciousness of our thinking. So we have a lot of unconscious subconscious thinking going on which often is driving the show and Mm. a lot of people I think are pretty much living on autopilot which means that they're they're not thinking consciously about how they're living Mm. they're just experiencing life believing that life is taking them on the journey yeah what is really interesting about this understanding is the more you get your head around it the more you become conscious and aware and the more that you're conscious and aware the more your thinking naturally changes by itself so especially the key the key thing i feel is you know how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has has taught us that in the remembrance of allah do hearts find rest mm. if we are always in our thinking tying it back to allah that that's a conscious choice to do that, then we actually naturally start finding that peace inside, that inner, inner salam. Mm. I mean, Allah's told us that. 
but I don't think we really, really get it until we experience it. It comes from being able to truly see and trust that everything is happening according to the Qadr of Allah mm. that, um, and accepting that, accepting that if something doesn't happen, there's a good reason for it. And if something does happen, there's a good reason for it. And instead of building a story around it, just understand that things are happening and our test is how we're responding to those things as opposed to us building a story of this is happening to me or this is happening for me. As soon as we start thinking like that, we're creating a story around it. Yeah, that's true. And it's the stories that lead us astray. Yeah, absolutely. I came across a training or course, free course that you give about uh, toxic self-talk so i want to know what do you mean by toxic self-talk and is it the same than negative self-talk sure so when i do my marketing i'll use the language that uh, people understand to attract them to listen because if i talk the way i understand things now then it doesn't resonate hmm. so when i say banish toxic toxic self-talk um it's, I don't um, use that sort of language in my teachings. I just use that language in my marketing to attract people. So I have another one that's called um, saying no to a narcissist. I don't use language like labeling people as narcissists either because I don't believe in us putting things in, in boxes and categorizing things like that because then it, it limits the way we think about things. Mm. So toxic self-talk is like negative self-talk. At the end of the day, what I teach is everything is just thought. Everything is thought and thought is neutral. It's the story we put around those thoughts ends up with the negative or positive experience from them. Mm. Um, so yeah, people get caught up in a, a negative story. It appears like negative self-talk or toxic self-talk. The banishing it, is not really actually something that we, we do really. Uh, the truth of the matter is we become, we come to understand how it really works. And when we understand how it really works, it naturally falls away by itself. So we don't have to banish it <laughs> if that makes sense. So yeah. a lot of my language you'll see in my marketing yeah. actually doesn't represent the final result or what we actually, what I actually teach. Yeah. It's actually a marketing technique to talk the language of the people who need my help yeah. so I that they're attracted to it. But what I teach them in the end is something quite different. I got you. So, you know the saying, sell, sell them what they want and then give them what they need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I want to ask what challenges you have faced in your coaching journey? Uh, lots of different challenges. I think that along the way, it's the fact that you almost need to, or it's not almost need to, you need to do a degree in internet sales and marketing in order to run a business. So mm. one of the most frustrating things about my business is the fact that I would rather just be working with people be, and, and doing this amazing work on, and seeing their faces change when they get it and their lives change when they get it than spending so much time in sales and marketing to try and get the people in mm. that need this. Um, and so I guess that's a big frustration 
for me because I think that takes up more time than, than the actual time that I spend delivering the help that I give. And I'd much rather just invest all my time in helping people, right, rather than yeah. all the marketing. I think the other thing is that's very frustrating is um, because this is my sole income, you know, for me and for my five children, um, we have a real attitude in our ummah that um, this work should be done for free. I sometimes get emails from people, oh, you should do this for free. It's like, yes, but then who's going to pay for the electricity and the rent and everything? It's like, if you go to a doctor to to have something fixed medically, you don't expect them to do it for free. So why, if you come to someone who helps you fix things emotionally and spiritually, should it be for free? I mean, I've invested... I don't know how many, but well over a hundred thousand dollars at least in my own education to be able to teach this Mm. and many, many, many years (laughs) of studying and and I never stop studying. I'm always learning Mm. to teach this. So yes, I might not have a PhD or some formal qualification. I mean, I have many formal qualifications, but like one that they recognize like they would for a doctor. But that doesn't make me less qualified to be of, of help of service and therefore shouldn't be paid. So that is a big frustration. And another frustration is that we have so many people out there who perhaps aren't qualified out there saying they are coaches that I sense over these recent perhaps 12 months or so, mm. um, a lack of trust in in the niche, in our Muslim women niche Mm. to invest because then, then don't believe that actually people are qualified. So Mm. it's, it's not that we don't have amazing coaches with qualifications. It's that they have to really ask and find out who, who really can help them and who is someone who just decided to call themselves a coach and hasn't had any, you know, training behind them. Yeah. You know, funny thing that you mentioned is I would add on what you said that people are expecting to get coaching for free, but they will be willing to pay whatever price if the coach is non-Muslim. They have oh, no yes. problem with that. <laughs> yeah. And and for us women, Muslim women coaches, they would happily pay a, a Muslim male coach over a a Muslim female coach. So we've got two, we've got two layers of barriers that we're female and Muslim because I've had people who have um, a choice between say myself and uh, a male coach who does the same work Mm -hmm. who charges a lot more than me and they would pay him a lot more than I charge because there's this belief and it is perpetuated in our ummah that men know better than women. Mm. And I think for Muslim women, they really should be working with Muslim women because, you know, just because it is better Islamically for us Mm. to be working in our own gender. And Mm. I believe that our men in our ummah need help and we need our male coaches to be really having some kind of agenda to get to the men in our ummah and start coaching them because the women are leaving them behind yeah. in the personal development area. Like you, you look at any program, which is a mixed program and yeah. 90% at least will be women. Yeah. You go to the twins of faith conference. I went to, it's been either the, the 
the difference has been growing every year. It used to be like two thirds women, a third men. This mm. year it was like three quarters women. So out of the thousands that were there, three quarters of them were women. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's funny you mentioned that because the last course I took, I remember there was maybe over 90% sisters on the course and they were setting up a WhatsApp group for sisters and they were like question, someone asked, where's the WhatsApp group for brothers? And we were like, what brothers? There's only a few of us. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. So, so I see the same thing um, in all the programs, whether it, whatever it's to do with um, personal development. But the problem is we, in order for us to move forward as a stronger Ummah, and we do need to be a stronger Ummah, Hmm. we need the men to be on board too. There's so much depression and and problems like this amongst the men as much as the women. Yeah. And um, for us women, it's not appropriate for us to be coaching them. We, We need the brothers to have some kind of agenda to work out how they can engage that Mm. audience and work with that audience. Um, I know it's easier to get women into your programs and things like that, but we, we as sisters need the men to come along too, because it's Mm. very frustrating when we we reach a heightened level of awareness and understanding and we're dealing with men who Mm. don't get it. Mm. And we're always having to be the one that is explaining everything or mm. like they're meant, to, they're meant to be the leaders of the household, but it's hard for them to do that if they've been left behind <laughs> in that, yeah. in that space of, of understanding, especially, you know, the, the dynamic of human relationships and emotions and all that sort of stuff that's causing issues in marriages and families. Mm. Mm. What would you say if someone say in defense of men coaches, they put their marketing advertising there and they're doing, they have to pay the bills too. So only clients they have is sisters because the brothers are not interested. I'm not, I'm not um, telling them to not help Mm. the women but I think they shouldn't poach our clients because we work so hard for them. And I've had some male coaches poach my clients and I've thought that's just so unfair because I work so hard to get yeah, them. Yeah. Um, so it certainly should be eth- ethical, but no, it's more about having, having a, a thought towards how can we engage the men? So not, just be make it about paying the bills for me it's not just about paying the bills yes i need to pay the bills Mm. but my focus in my business is not financial perhaps it should be Uh, maybe that's one of my it's probably one of my biggest weaknesses in my business is not to be money focused um my focus is on solution as being a part of the solution to the ummah so it would be great for the male coaches to think in that term as well yes okay you have to think about the money as well but think about how can we be part of the solution of the ummah and there is such a great need in the ummah for working with the men we need to reduce domestic violence we need to reduce the breakdown of marriages we need fathers being fathers to their children knowing how to parent mm. um and, and there's a real lacking in that area. Yeah. So when it comes to marketing, we, we, um, anyone who knows anything about marketing knows that when we market, we have to have a specific niche in mind. And if you 
think about that niche when you're marketing, you will attract those people. I mean, all of my work is about Muslim women. I rarely attract anyone other than a Muslim woman into what I do. Mm. Because when I put the language and everything out there, that's who I'm attracting. So it's thinking in terms of how might you, you be able to attract men in. Maybe, yes, at the initially, it's not going to pay the bills to just focus on men, but to have mm. at least a focus on how can we start engaging them and initiating their personal development as well. Because no doubt, and you know, more than happy to hear your thoughts on it, um, mm. that the male coaches out there, they're doing this for a reason because they've seen the benefit in their own life mm. and how it's changed their relationships and their experience of life. So surely they would want that for their brothers too, right? Mm. Well, I haven't seen enough male Muslim male coaches talking about relationships or talking about how to be a man or how to be a good father. And even in the community, I don't, I haven't seen dads advising boys to be a man. Uh, this is something. This is something that we need to step up on it. Then, yeah, it's very lacking. And we can see the result of that in, in our Omar. There's, there's shocking things happening. Um, yeah. Working with young people, I get to see what's happening to our youth and what they're getting into and the messes they're getting into. Mm. And a lot of the time, you're talking about families where they're very religious families and the, and the parents have no clue mm. what these kids are up to. Yeah. And, and a lot of... Yeah, well, it's boys and girls, but there really is um, a lacking when it comes to being role models for boys. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about the challenges and the frustrations. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know what is the most surprising experiences that you had in positive sense in your coaching journey? I don't know whether the right word is surprising. I think profound is probably more is just yeah. the way that it, when when i work with my groups of women i truly see that it's not me it's allah that guides them all i do is teach the truth to the best of my ability pretty much like a day would do about islam but it's about um, how we work psychologically and mentor them by listening where they're not seeing it and then keep pointing them in the right direction. Mm. And then one day in between sessions, something will change for them and they come on the session. So we meet, we meet in the zoom room and I can just see the noor on their faces just suddenly there, like all the weight of the world has just come off their shoulders and, and subhanAllah, it's the most beautiful experience to see that shift in people's lives and are just incredibly grateful to Allah mm. for all that he has put me through in order for me to be able to do this, this work. Alhamdulillah. Um, but it's not, it's not me. It's Allah. I mean, it's, it's Allah's guidance that guides them to see it in the end. It's not in my hands at all. So I have never, I never have a clue when it's going to happen. It just happens when it happens. Mm. SubhanAllah, somewhere along the line while we're working together, they'll get it. It's amazing. Alhamdulillah. 
Alhamdulillah. That's and how do you can you tell by looking at the the people you are working with when that shift happens within them? Yeah, you can tell whether you whether you even if you don't see them. We have WhatsApp groups and they'll start writing things, and you'll see in their writing that mm. they've got this deep understanding all of a sudden because their word, the way they express things will change. It's, it's really obvious. SubhanAllah. And, and it's such an amazing thing. And we, it doesn't, it's not one of the things to understand is um, it's not there all the time. Like, you know how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that our Iman will, will fluctuate mm. our seeing that our th think our, we're experiencing our life through thought in the moment so it comes and goes too. Sometimes we don't see it. And so, mm. you know, the dark clouds can pass again. Right. Yeah. But the difference is where it seemed like we were stuck in stormy weather forever. Now it's just like a passing storm. And mm. so a bit like the Hadith of the green lush plant, right? It just comes and it goes. Mm. SubhanAllah. Um, it doesn't, mean that life stops being challenging because Allah has already told us that this life is a test. So it's all, we're always going to be tested. In fact, because he said he will not burden us with more than we can bear, the tests actually get harder because we can actually bear more, right? So the tests actually get harder. The difference mm. is that we can navigate them calmly. Mm. That's interesting because you have grown to a person that can handle more tests. Yep. Oh. That's that's what I've experienced and that's what the sisters I've worked with have experienced too. And I can tell you amongst us, we've had some of the toughest challenges you can possibly imagine. Mm. Things that would normally break a person and it doesn't break us. That's why unbreakable is the perfect word for it. Yeah, I get it now. Uh, we are coming to end of our conversation. So there's two questions I want to I would like to finish off. The first one is, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? With the Back to the Fitra Academy, I would love to grow it so that it's, well, I already have 10 coaches that I'm training at the moment, Mashallah. but to grow it so that we have sisters initially, because that's who I'm working with, but it'd be great to have brothers as well. In every country, working doing this work so that they can work in their local currency so that everybody can afford to get this help this is my dream that i would love to leave behind because working with someone who's in the west is very hard for someone who's from nigeria or from pakistan or one of these countries where the exchange rate makes it impossible for them mm. so i'd love to have coaches trained in this understanding to be able to build up communities that they're supporting within their own countries, within their own currencies, mm. so that everybody can have access to this understanding because everybody deserves to. I don't think that this sort of knowledge should be just isolated to those who can afford it. Mm. That's a beautiful dream. May Allah make it reality. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And finally, leave us with the book recommendation. You could also recommend your book. You have a book. Yes. Well, on this particular topic for women, especially women who are 
feeling like life is very hard, that the challenges they're going through, that, that it feels impossible, I would recommend my book because the whole purpose of my book was to unpack all those challenges, share a bit of the challenges that I've gone through, mm. um, but also teach towards the, the last third of the book about this understanding or start the beginning of that journey of, of this understanding the whole purpose of this book is to bring hope because unless there's hope, there's no change. Mm. You have to have hope before you can have change. And so my book is about bringing hope first because a lot of people out there feel like it's hopeless. Mm. So yeah, I w would recommend, um, well, you know, professor Muhammad Abdullah who critiqued my book from an Islamic perspective, um, recommended even even brothers should read it but it was written for sisters actually mm. <laughs> but i'm more than happy for brothers to read it as well um yeah yeah and is there a story behind the title embrace the leader within because we we don't usually relate leadership to sisters so there's a lot of ish things around that title yeah. so embrace the leader within is firstly that it's saying that everybody has a leader within them mm -hmm. just like we all have confidence resilience all of these things within us we also have the ability to lead within us and first and foremost it's about them leading their own life rather than having life lead them so it's about mm -hmm. actually living life from that conscious perspective where we're making conscious decisions right whether this is the right or wrong thing for us so getting them to be the leader of their own life force for first and foremost but i do go through and talk about how they can be a leader even in their marriage in their community in their with their children in parenting a leader of their own finances because if you look at the examples in the yeah. time of the prophet the women were leaders absolutely that's true so yeah it, it's Really, mostly the leader within is focusing on them stepping up and taking charge of their life. And I give lots of examples when I had to do that. And I start the story at the point where I'm crying into, the, into my prayer mat because my doctor, who'd been seeing me almost weekly and I was barely able to breathe, was so worried about my health that she said to me, who's going to look after your kids if you die? Hmm. And it shocked me into the realization that I had to do something about my circumstances, but I didn't know what to do. And so I just cried into my prayer mat and that's where the book begins. Um, and so I had to step up and become a leader of my life in that moment. And I use lots of examples in my life where I had to step up and take charge and to show them that no matter what difficulty you're in, when you put your trust in Allah, and understand that you know you have a responsibility in your life to get yourself out of these challenges relying upon Allah that everybody can can start to do that in one way or another and that's the point of the book yeah, that sounds so interesting actually I brought up your book because I was afraid that you won't recommend it but at least we we got to know more about it and Shazakallah khair. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for taking the time out to share your story with us. May Allah bless you, bless your work and bless your Ameen. coaching academy, inshallah. Ameen. Jazakallah khair for having me today and, and helping um, share the, the message of, of this important work because we need a resilient ummah.